Mac Power Users, episode 623, Collaboration and Project Planning. Hello, everyone. This is David Sparks. I am joined, as always, by Stephen Hackett. How are you today, Stephen? I'm good, David. How are you? I am excellent, man. I cannot state that enough right now. I'm feeling <laughs> the love of all the world. Good. Yeah, you know, I, I put that word out that I was quitting the, the lawyer gig, and so many people wrote me to say very nice things. And I was thinking about this, talking to my wife about this. I mean, there's a lot of people who make career changes, but there are very few people who have career changes and get the immediate rush of support of people all over the globe, writing them saying, you got this. I mean, how lucky am I, man? I, I just, thanks everybody for writing, for joining the labs, all that stuff. I, uh, I'm still, you know, we, we record a little before these shows go out. So I'm still early in this transition, but I just can't get over how much easier life is when I'm not doing two big things at once. I mean, it's that <laughs> it's obvious, but it's still shocking to me. Does that make sense? It totally makes sense. Uh, it totally does. It's a big change. And, uh, I think it'll take some, some getting used to, but I'm excited. You've already put out a bunch of lab stuff. Uh, so that's yeah. fun to see. And yeah, it's, I'm glad it's going well. Yeah. Well, it's like, you know, I was always pulled, you know, because you've got client commitments, you've got to make sure you take care of them, but they've got the stuff you want to do on the other side. And like, just in the you know week and a half, I've been doing this. It is so refreshing just to be able to say, oh, I can just focus on on the thing, this Max Sparky thing now, and I can mm-hmm. fix problems that have been lingering for years. And like, there's all this cool content ideas. I mean, there's like no lack of ideas at this point. <laughs> One of the tricks for me, I think right now, I talked about this on Focused, is uh, I'm in a period of transition right now. And I think it's very easy when you're in a period of transition to just immediately go into maker mode and lock down. And what I really want to do is really keep an open mind to what I'm doing and not doing and how I'm doing things to try and like figure out the best workflows with this new reality that are more efficient, that, you know, get better product out the door and all that stuff. And um, one of the bits of that is collaborating. I, I do have a team and I uh, I thought it'd be fun to do a show talking about the current state of collaboration and uh, and project planning tools. So we're going to do that today. Before we do, though, uh, a couple announcements. Uh, we always have the Mac Power Users uh, newsletter. You can go ahead and sign up for that. Don't forget, there's a link in the show notes every week. And uh, if you sign up for it, when the show publishes, you get an email with all the links from the show, maybe a little extra content. Sometimes if we have a guest, we get some pictures of their workshop or whatever. And that's kind of fun. I called it a workshop, Stephen. Well, some people, it is a workshop, you know? Yeah, yeah. There you go. <laughs> Some people, it's a sheep farm. You know, it takes all types. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uji, she was one of our best guests last year. We're going to have to get her back on. The other thing is uh, one of the advantages, one of the boons of my new life is I'm going to be able to regularly do a monthly webinar. And uh, I've got it all set up now for my January webinar. is going to be all about my journaling workflows. And if you're interested, it's free. You can sign up. There's a link in the show notes. It's January 21. And uh, I'm really looking forward to it. I got some cool content I'm building for that. And uh, I'll see you there. Uh, Anything else, Steven? Uh, I think that does it for announcement stuff. Um, 
One thing I was just going to throw in here at the top, we're not really covering it today, but 15 years of the iPhone just passed. Not sure how yes. that happened, but yeah, here man. we are. Yeah, the the were you at the Macworld with the glass tube? No, no, the I only went to one Macworld is the one that uh that we mentioned a couple episodes ago where you Our and ice I cream first date. Met. Yeah, ice cream date. That's yeah. the only Macworld I ever made it to. Oh, that's too bad. I, I, I was there. The they had a glass tube with an iPhone. We all pressed our nose against it, and um, I you know remember when it was like a big deal. Are they going to have apps on it? You remember, <laughs> just like and like there were icons on it that he didn't really test out. Yeah. Uh, I did a blog post on this, and you did a video on it. And so uh, there's some great stuff about the 15 year and you know celebration of the announcement. What I would say is, if you ever present to people, I would recommend watching it. Especially, I think the first five minutes are masterful, as mm-hmm. everyone says. Um, but there's an article I linked at Max Barkey. We'll put it in the show notes of the engineers uh, that had written the apps that were on the original launch and of course this was a just-in-time venture i mean these guys were just barely getting this stuff done the iphone wasn't going to actually launch for something like six months later and they had it barely working so much so that like as i understand it when he opened the mail app he had to do it in a very specific order like you had to click the inbox but not the archive or whatever and there's all these rules like in order to get through it without crashing and of course, um, everybody was terrified that Steve Jobs would crash it and they would get the blame, right? Uh, so there's this great story uh, about these engineers in the audience with a flask. And <laughs> each one, like the mail guy sitting there is like, oh, he's going to do mail. And then like if he got through the mail without crashing, then he got to take a, a hit and then he passed the flask to the next guy. Okay, now he's doing Safari. Give it to the Safari guy. <laughs> yeah. And I totally believe that happened. I mean, this yep. it is kind of there. And, <laughs> and uh, but you know, who would have known? I mean, actually, I did know. I felt like immediately like that was going to be a game changer. Yeah, it, it really is uh, an amazing thing in hindsight. I, I agree with you. I, when, when, <laughs> I said we weren't going to talk about it, but here we are. I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, I remember when the first announcement came out, it seemed like a really big deal. But I don't think many people, including those who did it, saw that it was going to completely change society in a way that it has. And it's it's like really hard to overstate that. Yeah. I, I remember I, we uh, in the labs, we did a, a virtual meetup last Friday, and uh, I told this story in there. So sorry if you were there and you already heard it. But I, of course, was there on day one. And I had at the time a Palm Trio that I had hacked to look like a Mac. Like I had changed all the icons and everything. So I had like a, I don't know, what was it at that time? Leopard. I had like a leopard trio. <laughs> but the... um. But so as soon as I, you know, I got it day one, I loved it so much. I remember coming home, my kids and I, I mean, it was just like a thing, right? And um, like two days later, my wife had a church-related event and I went with her and there was a guy there with his BlackBerry. And Daisy was telling me, oh, Dave got the new iPhone. And he comes over and he says, oh, I was wondering what I'd meet my first sheep, you know? And uh, <laughs> that's literally what he said. What a way to like introduce yourself to someone, right? Seriously. Like, yeah, you know, it's like, I said, no, it's cool. And, you know, I always, like, try to not go negative with people. I'm like, no, this is really cool. And I and I showed it to him. He's like, well, I didn't think any of these would get in a while. Nobody would pay that. It was like $600, a lot of money, you know. Yeah. But then he, I showed it to him, and he's, like, playing with it. And he's like, well, they did a pretty good job, you know. And then 
he comes to me like 30 minutes later. He says, Hey, do you mind if I look at that again? You know? <laughs> and it was like, I felt like a drug dealer. Right. So I'm like, Oh yeah, sure, man. You can look at it. Here's a taste, you know? And so he's sitting at the table and he's looking through Safari and then he's looking at the browser on his Blackberry. And then finally he gives it back to me. He never admitted it. Right. But then like another church event, like six months later, of course he had one and I didn't say anything. I didn't rub it in. <laughs> I, I was so tempted to walk behind him and just go, bah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so happy birthday, iPhone. Yeah. If you haven't watched that keynote in a while, take some time this weekend and do it because it is Steve Jobs at his best. I just realized we, we had like three sheep-related references in the first 10 minutes of today's show. Well, that's that's okay. pretty good. That's yeah. a record. <laughs> she would be proud. <laughs> Okay, um, but that's not why we're here today. We're here to talk about collaboration. Uh, uh, Sartre said hell is other people. Um, I don't think so. I think uh, working with other people can be really helpful. But, you know, we live in this this world of COVID and remote work now more than ever. Yeah. And uh, there are a lot of tools for collaboration. This is going to be an episode where inevitably the the forums are going to be filled with people complaining. How come you didn't manage, you know, mention app X? Um, this is an overview. We don't, we're not going deep on these apps because there's so many of them, but we're going to talk about the ones we have personal experience with, or the mm-hmm. ones that we believe are kind of leaders. Yeah. And, um, and, and we're also going to get into our workflows and there's only so much time guys. Yeah, and it is one of those things where like it's pre- it's it's much simpler to test a copy and paste like clipboard uh <laughs> application. Yeah. yeah. It's really hard to like make a fake project in OmniPlan. So give us a little grace. Um but we're going to talk uh, about kind of what we do and some tools that we use and things that we see out in the world. Yeah. All right, let's start with collaboration. Um you've got something going on with multiple people. Um the obvious first step of this is email, right? Yeah. I mean, we we talk about collaboration. It's easy to think about things like Slack or Teams. We're going to talk about those. But what I what I experienced as a project manager, which was um, so like my, my job I had right at the end of my sort of career before doing Relay, I was at a web design firm, web development firm, and I was um, – the accounts manager. So basically project manager, accounts manager kind of mix. And so I was in this world and I remember when Slack came out and it came out during this time frame, and they had this yeah. really bold statement of like, we're going to put an end to email. And I just laughed at it because inevitably everything in project management ends up back at email because you are usually working with people outside of your organization. Right? So if I'm doing something at Relay with Mike, my co-founder, or Carrie or Kathy, someone else who works for us, it can be all on Slack because our whole team is there and Relay pays way too much a month to have Slack up and running for our company. But the second I have to leave the, the walled garden, I have to leave the Relay FM castle and go talk to somebody else, then I'm an email, right? I'm not, I'm not going to add these people into Slack. And all the, a bunch of these tools have ways to do that. But at the end of the day, you're you're in your inbox again. And and I think managing that well is really important because you're, you're going to be there anyways. Yeah. I mean, the original outline entry on this said email dash no way, exclamation point. And, and Stephen like added, 
thoughts in the outline where you explain that you are using this for project management. I'll, I'll tell you, I am generally against like any project that has um, significant value or more than two people. I'm generally against email because I just feel like it causes too many miscommunications and too often things don't really get tracked. And I think it's also very hard to kind of get receipts and understand status with just email, even if you blind yeah. copy everybody. And, oh, yeah. and of course, emails, everything else, right? It, it gets mixed up with your, you know, with your spam mail, with your, <laughs> you know, you know, with your yeah. birthday greetings to your friends. And uh-huh. All of a sudden yeah. you can't find it. <laughs> the email from your mortgage company, you know, all sorts of stuff. Yeah. yeah. And so when I was a, a professional project manager, the way I really liked to work, and I think my team appreciated this was that I was their conduit, right? So I was the agency when it came to the client. The client wasn't going around talking to my designer or my developer or whatever. Yeah. And to the internal team, I was the client. I was the customer. So they would ask me, you know, instead of going to the client directly, what what this or that needed to be. And so the way that I really tried to work was email is outward-facing, and then anything that happens in email gets sometimes just straight copy and paste it or translate it into our project management software. And there was some back and forth with that. And you're right, it is way messier for all those reasons. But there were a couple of things that I would do to, to really try to keep things as clean as possible, knowing that it's an imperfect system, knowing that it's uh has all these uh areas where you can really cause errors or, or create confusion. Um, the first and simplest thing for me was having folders and subfolders for projects. Right now, like in my work email, I have five uh, email folders that aren't sane box, you know, just five kind of things that I stash things in. And yeah. I really learned early on when I was working on 10, 12, 15 projects at a time in this job that Things just can't hang out in the inbox or even the archive. And search was really good, especially if you're using something like uh, a Google email. But having things where, okay, I can go into this folder and look at look at all the Acme emails in one place. It takes two seconds to file that away. But it really made it easier down the road when when looking for something. And then when we would finish a project, I would export all those emails and zip them up and have them all in one place and then archive them away. So they're still available via search, but yeah. I could uh, I could clean up that sidebar in mail. You know, trying to run a big project in your email alongside everything else just it's it's a recipe for disaster. I like one thing you mentioned is using email as an input to a bigger collaboration system. Like what you did at your agency was you had you had one email that was the recipient of that stuff. And then that dropped it in. Basecamp has a similar feature where you can have a magic email address and anything that gets into the email address gets added to a Basecamp project. And I think that's a really smart feature because like if you've got a way where you can use email as kind of like an input, but not really a, a, a communication channel, if that makes sense, where you can collect stuff, especially from the outside, that's cool. But I, I kind of stand by the idea that, man, email can really cause trouble so yeah. be careful if you're going to collaborate with email like uh, just to give an example of like a we're going to get into like slack in a minute but like a, a real basic 
communication tool I've used in the past. Like I did a um, screencast project for a company a few years ago and they wanted to use Google services for everything. And I said, well, how are we going to communicate? And they're like email. I'm like, Oh, that's bad. Uh, I said, I made a Google doc because they wanted to work in Google. So I literally made a document and just put timestamps in and said, here's where I am. This is what's going on. And here's Mm -hmm. my outstanding questions. And I would just use text colors in a doc, but it was like a, it was like a chain of communication that was in a document, which I know that sounds weird, but that worked better than email for communication of that project. Yeah. It can really be that simple. You know, some of these tools we're going to look at the feature list is so long. It like, you got to scroll for a mile in your web browser to read them all. But sometimes the simplest things are the best tools. Uh, another thing, and something really that I learned from you over the years, is you know what? Sometimes you just got to pick up the phone. And I know that's not everyone's first move. It's definitely not mine. But there were times even in Slack or some other collaboration environment where like, you know what? We could type things back and forth for two hours or we could have a five-minute conversation and get to the bottom of something and make a decision or clarify something. And, you know, even when I was a professional project manager, you know, there were, there were some customers, some clients who they only wanted to meet in person or they only wanted to have phone calls. Others just wanted email, but really you can build all of these things together and you should just know when, you know, sometimes it is best to have a phone call or to have a conversation in person, as opposed to, email or Slack or whatever. Yeah. When I was uh, at the firm and I had a secretary, her and I had a standing meeting at four o'clock Tuesdays and Thursdays where she collected all the questions she had for me and came to me at four o'clock and I answered them all in like side of an hour, as opposed to her coming to my office every 10 minutes, ask me something. And that worked really well. I mean, Steven and I have a similar thing. We, we get on the phone once a week. Am I the only show you do that with where we do the, the show prep with a phone call? Yes. Probably. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, you've got time zone issues with your other shows. So that, that's see what true. Yeah. I mean, you're the only, this is the only show I do with another person in the United States. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, but Mike and I, every Monday morning, like I start my work week, the first thing after I take my oldest kid to school, come home and Mike and I have a standing call every Monday morning for the same reason. You know, we could do that in Slack, but very often it's like, your example you just gave, he and I might be saving up three, four, or five things to talk about. None of them are super time sensitive or we just would have done it in Slack. But hey, let's just sit down and talk through these things and make some decisions. Uh, but even now we have, you know, just the other day, we, so we've been, we've been working on this software development project for an internal tool and the testing has been kind of rough and, and it's like, hey, let's just, like, call me and tell me as you're doing this, walk me through what's going on so I can understand it. And it's invaluable. Yeah. And there's so many like collaboration telephone call services now. Free conference call is a good example. Like, I have a text expander snippet that spits out an email with all my free conference call stuff on it. And I don't want to dwell on this too long because we're going to get in more into the digital realm here in a minute. But when you're on the phone with a group of people on your team, you can hear in tone of voice whether you have buy-in or not. You can hear people, I think, are more willing to verbalize what their problem is when you're just talking around instead of like writing up email. I don't know. I, I think there's definitely benefit to that in, in collaboration. But let's get to uh, 
beyond email and a telephone, some communication collaboration tools. We've been talking about Slack off and on throughout the show. Tell me, let's, you know, tell us about Slack, Stephen. I know you're a pro user of it. Yeah. I mean, Relay runs on it and it's, uh, it's an application where you can have private direct messages between individuals or groups. You can have private rooms. And so we have one, we have a private room called MPU and it's me and you and Jim, our editor and Carrie, the VP of sales at relay. Uh, Mike is in there as well. And if anything comes up with MPU that the team needs to know, or we need to discuss, it can go in there. And I know that if that little room has an unread little indicator that somebody has said something about MPU and I should go check it out. And you have public rooms, right? So we have a general one. We have one about cars. You know, there's, there's a video game one, I think, in there that I, I left years ago. <laughs> um, all sorts of different levels of communication. But the, the thing that really makes Slack special and Teams and some other uh, programs and other services have are gaining ground on Slack, but I still think Slack has the best. It's having an app directory. And so we can bring information into Slack from other services that we use. And so we use FreshBooks for our invoicing. FreshBooks is a little bot in our Slack where if someone pays an invoice, we get a little notification. We have a, a private channel called Sales Data and we just go, hey, FreshBooks, you know, invoice, you know, 7235 was paid by so-and-so. Or they tried to pay it and their card failed. So maybe we need to reach out to them and see if there's something we can help with. Uh, same thing with Airtable, which we use for some tracking. Uh, and the list, like on the, the Slack website, just goes on and on and on with tools you can bring in and connect to Slack. So you don't have to go out and check a bunch of different things. Um, and some of these even work the other way around. And so you can make changes in Slack or say something in Slack and say, hey, I want to send this message over here and attach it to this card in Trello, for example, or whatever the case may be. It's been um, it's been really instrumental in, in how we've worked now for a really long time. Yeah, I mean, I think Slack is a great tool for an ongoing team. You know, if you've got ongoing communications, if you've got a group of employees, or if you've got a long-term project, because just like Stephen said, you can break up into rooms. I got to tell you a secret, Stephen. Like, I have two other shows that you're not a co-host on. Right. What? <laughs> well, you know, and occasionally something goes wrong. Usually it's like I screwed up an ad or something. And I don't know why, because you and I are buddies, but whenever you step into the, because I never see you in those rooms, and suddenly right. you just like come in and say something, and I'm like... It's like dad just showed up. It feels like dad, <laughs> I gotta say. I do have this weird role, right? Where like I'm a co-host and yeah, it's strange. I get that. That's cool though. Um, but I, I do think like if you've got a team, this is a great way to communicate. Yeah. And we're going to talk about some other tools over the, the hour that might be more appropriate for you. But but the general idea of quick communications to anyone, mm -hmm. this is superior to email and text messages in like a thousand ways. Yep. Um, and it's free third party to start. Apps, yeah, it's free. And, but you know, if you use it significantly, you'll end up paying for it. And I just really like the model of it. I'm surprised, you know, cause I know Google came at them. Microsoft is now coming at them with Microsoft teams, but Slack just continues to kind of stay at the front of this. And in my experience, if I were choosing one today for my company, it would be this one. And, um, but maybe we should talk about Microsoft Teams a little bit because that is a big competitor that a lot of people are on. 
Yeah, and for good reason. Uh, Microsoft has been able to bundle it with Office 365 on Windows yeah. 11. It's just like there as the default chat and VoIP solution yeah. or Skype. Uh, Teams is on the server. It's very similar to Slack where you've got different rooms, direct messaging, all that sorts of things. Uh, but it has really close tie-ins with the other Office applications. Uh, I've gotten to see Microsoft Teams up close because the public school district here uses Microsoft Teams. And so last year when my kids were learning remotely, my wife was teaching remotely, they were in Microsoft Teams all day. I uh, also learned then that the Mac app is not the best thing in the world. I think they've made some progress with that. But at least in the early days, the Mac app was kind of garbagey. Uh, but it has all this stuff built in and it has audio and video calling built in, which Slack does as well. But I think Teams has a better implementation of it where you don't have to bounce out to Zoom or something. Um, I mean, my wife was teaching in Microsoft Teams several hours a day, you know, uh, when they were doing school from home last year. So it is extremely popular because it's bundled because it comes in. But I think they really are making a run at Slack. And, you know, Slack was bought by Salesforce, which doesn't bother me at all. They've continued to make a great service with Slack. But um, I think that was good for Slack because I don't know how Slack would stand up to Teams five years from now as an independent company. And I think Teams will just continue to grow and evolve because Microsoft's behind it. I think that this is going to be a good horse race. And I'm really looking forward to see how this evolves. But honestly, we're so heavily invested in Slack that I would like to see them continue to stay at least yes. marketable or in mm -hmm. the game because I don't really want to switch to Microsoft. No, I don't either. Steven, uh, when we worked on the outline, I left one topic out intentionally because I didn't want to get your blood pressure up. But what about VR meetings? Are you familiar with this concept? Uh, I know people are into it. Ben Thompson has written quite a bit about it. And really likes it. And that's one thing Meta and other companies are talking about. Yeah. Seems weird to me, but, you know, maybe I'm just uh, not getting it. I had a legal client and a Max Sparky mm -hmm. project person I work with that both wanted to do VR meetings. And I never got the technology to do it with them. So they were in VR, but I was at the meeting looking at a screen like a video game. And so I don't really have... <laughs> good um, experiences with it yet. It, it just seems silly, but I actually think there may be something to this. I, I am, I'm more um, positive on the idea of VR. And I, I do think if the technology gets better, if the headsets get lighter, there might be something to that. Right. Cause like I have the Oculus, the first generation one. Mm -hmm. And like I, one of my favorite things in it is just go to Machu Picchu. They've got this thing where you feel like you're there walking around in it and it's, it's gorgeous. And, I don't know. I think when we're stuck in our offices or homes all day, this could eventually turn into something. And um, I, I think there might be something for it in the future. It's too early now. And the technology and the hardware really isn't out there. But but that's just something on the radar. We'll see. I think maybe in the future, you and I will be doing our weekly planning call in a chateau in Switzerland. What do you think? <laughs> I mean, that does sound pretty cool. I won't yeah. lie. Uh, another component of this, maybe a little bit closer to planet Earth, is file management, right? With any yeah. project comes assets, whether it's documents or graphics or video, whatever it may be. Yeah. And some of these tools we're talking about 
have like file sharing capability, right? Like I can drag in any file to Slack and share it with any number of people, but it's not really like a file storage file management solution. Yes. And um, this really, this is kind of treading into the land of cloud-based storage tools, which we cover all the time on the show. We've done shows on it. So we're not going to go at length into it, but um, like I think the two obvious solutions are Dropbox and Google Drive, but there's a bunch of other like paid for services like Drive and and just a bunch of companies that make a living uh, collaborative file sharing in ways that are safe and easy. Yeah. The problem with things with like Dropbox is that it really isn't. Um, you share a Dropbox folder. Usually the rules are if someone deletes a file in the Dropbox, they get deleted everywhere else and. Granted, Dropbox has a way to restore those deletions and and higher tiers. But if you're just like kind of doing this on the basic feature set of Dropbox, you have to be really careful. Um, I once had an expert witness delete all of my exhibits from a Dropbox folder. It's like, oh no, you know. But but I I do you know I'm smart about it. If I uh, if I'm working with Dropbox, nothing collaboratively, if other people have access to a Dropbox, nothing goes in there that isn't already on my drive somewhere. So it's not a big deal. And like I said, you can restore it. But I think there's a whole bunch of dragons involved with using consumer-grade file sharing tools for collaboration. Um, And one other thing I would add to that is iCloud. Um, uh, For a while, JF and I were doing uh, field guide files via iCloud uh, folder sharing which worked fine, but ultimately we went to Dropbox because I felt like it mm-hmm. was files were getting uploaded faster and it just seemed a little less risky. I do think this is one area where Microsoft has a bit of an advantage. So like my daughter, uh, she, uh, we just set her up on like an older MacBook uh, Air to use for school stuff because her school tablet's kind of cruddy and she wanted to use a Mac and who am I to say no to that? And I basically I just had to sign in with her school Microsoft ID and all the office apps were, you know, unlocked. They were licensed. Teams was signed in. OneDrive installed. All of her stuff came down. And OneDrive is integrated really nicely with the other office applications. You know, Dropbox is great. It's what I use. My workflow is is extremely Dropbox dependent, but it's really just a file a folder. And that's why I like it, but that's why some people don't like it. And so something like yeah. OneDrive, you know, if you're in the Microsoft ecosystem, it's like all your stuff is just there all the time. And you can save something from Teams and open it in Word and vice versa and all these things. And so I expect that as as things move forward, that we will see better integration between some of the communication tools and the file management tools because they're so closely related, right? And, and I hope that we see that continue to improve. Yeah, and I also think we'll see um, feature creep where uh, file management tools are going to get communication tools and communication tools are going to get file management tools. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Dropbox loves adding features that no one wants. This episode of MPU is made possible by SaneBox. SaneBox is great email filtering. It learns what is important to you and simply filters out the rest, saving me hours each week. It works with all kinds of email programs and services. You're not locked into one special app or email address to make this work. This filtering is fantastic. You get a bunch of folders in SaneBox, Sane Later, of course, the one everybody knows. It helps uh, keep your inbox clean. Anything that's not important just goes to Sane Later, and you can deal with it on your own time. 
If you never want to hear from somebody again, just drag the message to the same black hole. It's like unsubscribing without having to uh, deal with those little text links in the bottom of an email. You can snooze emails, you can set up reminders, and you can even set it up to move attachments to Dropbox or other cloud services if you're running out of space on your email account. Sandbox offers various pricing plans starting as low as about $4 a month and a 14-day free trial. My guess is you're going to be totally sold within the 14 days. In fact, two-thirds of MPU listeners who try Sanebox end up subscribing. I love it. I couldn't do my email without it. Go to sanebox.com MPU to receive a $25 credit on any plan. That's sanebox.com MPU to receive a $25 credit on any of their plans. Sanebox can help you stop drowning in email. And our thanks to them for sponsoring Mac Power users. There's an addition to like these basic communication and file sharing tools we were talking about. There's a whole category of applications engineered around the idea of project management. And, you know, it goes beyond the stuff we've been talking about so far. Yeah, this is really kind of what I see as the next step. So you've got your emails and your Slack and your teams or whatever. And that's great for communication. But when it comes time to actually manage all the individual pieces that have to be done in the right order at the right time by the right people to make something happen, you just need more than fancy chat apps, right? And so this is kind of what I view as when it's time to look at things like milestones or actions or dependencies, you really are looking at some more um, specific types of applications. Yeah. And they give you more power tools. And, and historically this has been a real grim area on the Mac. I mean, going back to, you know, before the iPhone, a lot of project management tools existed on windows. The web hadn't really grown up yet. And the Mac just didn't get any of that in my experience. I mean, yeah. Uh, except maybe Merlin, which we'll talk about later. But the um, there just wasn't much there. But now it's a huge, rich ecosystem. Like if you just go into the Mac App Store and search project management, I did it a few days ago, there are so many apps out there that mm-hmm. people want to sell you for project management. And then you combine that with all of the um, web services. Because I, I do feel like project management is one of those things that really could work well with a web app because you know it's collaborative people are logging in the data set putting the data set in the cloud means it's always updated for everybody and this is one that makes a lot of sense uh, for a web app if you trust the the developer of the app but something that always kind of comes up in this context is what's the difference between a project planner and a task manager so i thought we'd talk about that a little bit um uh, when we talk, we've talked about task managers a lot on this show and, um, they generally, to my mind, a task manager is a list of tasks. Now you can group them by project and good task managers let you do that. And they have lots of ways to kind of keep track of a project via task manager. Even some of them are collaborative, you know, yeah. like, um, to do list. Are you still using to do list? Is that your main one now? Yeah. Yep. And it, it has some collaboration tools in it. I don't, use them with anybody, but if you and I wanted a shared list and Todoist, we could yeah. totally do that. For me, I think that the difference between uh, task management and project management really is 
the elevation in which you're standing, right? So task management is I need to write this copy, send it to the editor, upload this image, render this video, right? Yeah. But project management is way above that looking at, okay, that's just one little part of this, but we also have to do it in this order with these customer sign-offs as we go. And you can shoehorn on that to a task manager, but it's really nicer to have some of the tools that we're going to talk about in a second that give you different views into that, give you the ability to create dependencies and and link things to time, things that you just don't get in most task managers. Yeah, and, and pro- project management is inherently collaborative. It doesn't need to be. You could run that software just for a single person. But, you know, generally I find task managers something more solo and project management is more collaborative. But like I said, that's kind of up to you and, and your choice of apps. But um, but project management software is next level. It's the 20,000 foot versus the 500 foot. Exactly. There's some common elements of project planners. I mean, you did this for your software development company. What were the things you looked for in a project management software? Yeah, the, the big thing for me was uh, really clear tools when it came to deadlines and what happens if that deadline moves, right? And so we're going to talk about Gantt charts and, and stuff in a second. But when, like the agency I worked at, we we had our approach that was waterfall, where basically project is sold. There's scope and stuff that takes that has to be taken care of. Then it's designed, and then it's developed, and then the content is put into the website, and the website goes live, right? Yeah. A- and each one of those steps is really like 15 or 20 or 100 steps, and they have to go in the right order. And so if two miles upstream of you, you know, something happens, it's going to disrupt the flow downstream, Right. And being able to to zoom all the way out and look at this thing on a you know big widescreen monitor and say okay we missed this des- design deadline by two weeks doesn't really matter what the reason is but it happened whatever things things occur what does that mean if we're two weeks behind development is that going to collide with other projects we have does it cause issues because oh the developer who is assigned is actually taking vacation in two weeks or they're having a baby in a month and we've got to you know, work through all those things. And believe it or not, not all project management software does a good job at that. Um, there, and, and the ones that I use, one of them is straight up out of business now. I mean, I had this job in like 2013. It's been a long time, but yeah. um, not all of them do a, a great job at that. Um, the other thing that I think is really critical when looking at these tools is how easy it is to, to get information in and to organize it. Uh, for a long time, a lot of these project management softwares would have something like a notebook feature where you just could have a notebook and a bunch of notes and it was kind of up to you how do you organize them and where you would put them and how you would share them. But more modern tools, and I think the ones that really stand out to me at least, are ones where I can I can get information into it very easily, text, attachments, whatever it is. And attach those notes to individual tasks or part of the project or assign them to individual people. So if a piece of information comes in, say that we're doing a design 
and we have feedback on that design, right? The client says, oh, we want this color blue, not that green. We want to tweak this or that, you know, whatever the feedback is. I can dump all that into a note and make a task and, ha- you know, does, you know, complete design feedback and have all those things in line and tag the designer and put a date on it all really easily. And most of these tools do this now. That has not always been the case, but that's so critical. You know, going back to the, the beginning of the conversation for me of thinking about email as the conduit to the outside world. Well, this is the other side of that coin. This is what happens when that information comes in. Sometimes you just need a text field, but I need that text field to be able to interact with the other parts of the project. Yeah. And the people who really master that are the ones who uh, honestly succeed in the market. I mean, I had a, a contracting client that, you know, as a lawyer, you would always see the contractors that were having problems because they would get into legal jams. This is one that never did. They just always just made a bunch of money, like lots of zeros on every project they did. Mm-hmm. And I would go visit them and they had a job shack at every major project. And I'd go out to the job shack and they would have a wall of it. That was nothing but this big Gantt chart. And everybody in there from the, you know, the guy who, you know, did the grading to the guy who did the finished carpentry was in there looking at where they were on that Gantt chart, which was constantly updated. And they did it with paper because, you know, contractors, you know, uh, didn't want to be dealing with the screen. But but I guess we should get into that. What What is a Gantt chart? Because I know that's a big piece of this, and I just kind of jumped into it. Yeah, it it is on the surface, a a tool or a way of arranging data that shows you tasks, schedules, and dependencies. So task two can't be done until task one is done. Yeah. Very often they're laid out like in a huge horizontal fashion. Um, so like 12 years ago, whatever, I started my job at the Salvation Army. I was there for five years. We built a community center. Uh, It was by far the most complex project I've ever done. And it took probably a decade off the end of my life, but (laughs) um, it took three years to build it. Yeah. And the construction project manager, um, it really took a lot of time off his life. uh, He would have these huge Gantt charts for the whole project. And it would be like on the, on page one, it's like, okay, well we got to pour the concrete. uh, But before we do that, you know, any plumbing underground has to be put in. We pour the concrete and the structural steel, and then we put the roof on. But each one of those items was 5,000 different items. And it was, you have to do this by this time to unlock these other tasks. And if one of these moves, it understands the relationship and can ripple change, you know, all the way downstream or upstream, what happens? Um, It's a very old concept. It's like from like the guy who invented them was born in 1861, like this is really old stuff. And it was done on yeah. paper for the vast majority of human history that they've been around. But it gives you a, a clear visual understanding of tasks, schedule, and dependencies in a way that I think like nothing else ever has. And some people look at them and their brains explode, but I found it as a project manager be a very useful tool. Yeah, agreed. And the the contingent nature of a Gantt chart, the way if you change something, you see it later really helps. I am, you know, I talked earlier about how this can be used on an individual or a team basis. 
I use Gantt charts all the time on an individual basis. When I do major projects for, for legal clients, um, or even when I do like contract projects for other people related to Max Sparky, I do like screencast projects and things where I have a client that is paying me to do a deliverable. Mm-hmm. Um, I have created an OmniPlan Gantt chart templates for like, you know, a contract screencast project or, you know, a field guide. And I have all these different ones I use and um, I send them out when I, you know, when I get the basic details and the thing it does, it's a PDF that goes out to them and I just export it from OmniPlan as a PDF. I guess I'm getting ahead of myself, but either way, it it just, you send them this PDF and number one, it lets them know where they're responsible. Like, like sometimes I need to get approvals on the music that's going to get used or the artwork in the closing card or the, you know, whatever in the contract. And so I show where they're responsible and then I can show them when they delay me, I send them an updated chart, which shows the new thing. And everybody always knows when I'm going to finish with these charts. And uh, I actually find it, it's almost like a, in addition to being a way to set expectations with a client, it's actually a marketing tool because people are super impressed by them. You know? Yeah. And, and one thing that it, uh, that it includes that you really can't do with almost anything else is shows duration, right? So yeah. if, okay, this yeah. video production is going to take four business days. You can actually see how long it is because it, there's a timeline. It's a, the whole thing's a timeline, right? It's super smart. Yeah. I find it quite useful. And, um, that is one of the primary uses I have for, for OmniPlan. But anyway, um, in addition to Gantt charts, um, there's something else. It's the new sexy in project management, Kanban boards. Yeah, baby. Yeah. Uh, so uh, Kanban is a, um, well, it's a board. <laughs> but the, uh, so what it does is it's a, a series of columns and a lot of the ways I saw this introduced, and this is a Japanese term. I don't know the history of it. I don't know if you did any research on that. Knowing you, you may have. But the, um, but it's a. Uh, it started out with like uh, you go to a wall and you say, you know, you have different uh, statuses for a project and tasks related to a project. Mm-hmm. You put them on a sticky pad, and you move them across the board as they make their way to the finish line. And this is something that is an analog tool that got. Uh, transformed to digital and in the last 10 years it has like really taken off and i think the reason it takes off is because it really works well especially with a team yeah it was uh i did look it up uh it was put together by an industrial engineer at toyota and so you know a, a company that is very well known to this day about its manufacturing precision it's pretty cool um i think most people have interfaced with this through something like Trello where you have a bunch of columns and a bunch of cards and you can move them around and change the status. That's certainly how I first came to know it. Yeah, no. And it, it is really useful. Um, I can tell you almost all the collaboration stuff I do now incorporates a Kanban board of one sort or another, the Max Sparky uh, team, we use Airtable. And that has a Kanban feature in it. So, and we're going to get into our use of this stuff later, but I, that's one place I use it. I even use it personally in Obsidian. There's been a whole bunch of posts I've done at Max Sparky over the last year about my personal status board. Um, originally, I was doing them in OmniGraffle because they were very pretty. 
but now I've moved them to Obsidian because that's where all my project notes are anyway. Mm-hmm. But the um, and it's not as pretty, but there's a nice plugin for it. Yeah, but it is a uh, it is a super useful tool. I finish every day looking at my personal Kanban to say, okay, what is hot right now? Well, I've mm-hmm. got you know this episode of Mac Power Users. I got this part of the field guide. I got this webinar I'm trying to develop, and like looking at that on that global level really helps me keep keep on top of things. Yeah, and you can think about these in a couple of different ways. A tool like Trello or Obsidian, uh, and even a bunch of task managers have this view now. Uh, Todoist and Good Task, yeah. uh, notably, both do. You can view them as okay. This is a process that individual tasks will walk through. So again, like using my old company as an example. Okay, we have sort of planning, design, development content load and launch and each card would have a client name and once it was designed and into development i could just move it over and in trello you can do tons of notes and statuses and attach images all sorts of wild stuff to the cards but you can also just use it as a visual way to arrange information so we have at relay a a board each year i just set it up for this year like last week of the goals we have for the company for 2022 And the way we use it is each column is a category. So we have business, content, membership, technology. And within those are cards for individual goals or projects that we want to work on. So I'm not using it like I would a Gantt chart where things are moving left to right as time goes on. But I'm using it as a way to visually organize information where I and other people can easily see it and understand you know, what goes where and, and the where it is in progress. Cause you can do the labels and like I said, other, other metadata attached to each card. Yeah. It's just so flexible. I mean, I like the idea of using Kanban in ways that are non-traditional because it just works and that there is something for the visual presentation of data. I mean, back in the early days of Mac power, I used to talk about Scrivener so much because I love that note card view where I could work on something and it would give me no cards of concepts that I could move around on the screen. Kanban is a lot like that. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know if you're listening, and you haven't played with one, just go get a free account at Trello. And I think that's the starting point to try and figure this stuff out. But if you go on the app store and search Kanban, there's like a obscene amount of applications in there that support Kanban. And uh, there's just a lot of ways to get into it, but I find it a um, a very good way to to look at things. And uh, the you know just to get back to this idea of a status board real quick, and I can't guarantee this will be the last time I mention this in the episode. But uh, in a personal context, having a list of the major projects that you are either on hold or planning or actively working on, and forcing your eyeballs to look at that on a routine basis, which I do with the Kanban, uh, there is a tremendous amount of value in terms of staying on target with what's important. Yeah. And you know, these tools are, especially the Kanban stuff, they are digital tools that are representing something in the real world, right? You could do this with sticky notes on your desk or a whiteboard or whatever, but I think the concept is really what's important here is that you you have these bits of information that you can move around and they represent tasks or projects or or whatever. 
and having it in a way that is, you know, it's it can definitely be linear, but I don't think about these boards necessarily in that way. Uh, maybe that's because the way I've kind of changed my use of it over time, but using it as just a way just to organize things visually or in a way that is sort of by category, just I find very useful as a pretty visual person. You know why one of the reasons why I am so bent out of shape about this Vesta board is because I want to drive my active Kanban projects to the Vesta board. The idea of having it go and then say, oh, this is the thing you're doing today. This is your deliverable. I mean, I think it's dumb. I still haven't decided whether I'm going to buy it or not. But the um, but there's something to that, right? Uh, oh, yeah. I read the uh, Cal Newport wrote a book called A World Without Email, which is really good. Um, I think it's um, it's a little um, it's a little optimistic, but you know, hey, you, I, you make your own decision when you read the book. But one of the things he talked about was like in the eight, late 1800s, there was a factory where they had a huge wall. I think they made, if memory serves it, would they made carriages like train carriages, like the fancy cars that people sat in when they went on their train journeys and they had basically a kanban board up against the wall where they had brass plaques and they would say who's responsible for it and they'd move stuff around like on a factory wall yeah that's cool and that <laughs> honestly that that's the vesta board attraction for me is the ability to stick stuff up there that is like super important right now and just have it right in my face like that but i don't know we'll see but but uh, maybe um, maybe I'll wait until after you buy yours first. Oh, boy. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by Indeed. Get a free $75 credit to upgrade your job posts. Just go to Indeed.com slash MPU. Maybe you're successful in business because you love doing the research, whether it's the state of the market or the next right hire. But when you're low on hours and you still want to do a great job on hiring, who do you go to for help? It's time for Indeed. If you're hiring, you need Indeed because Indeed is the hiring partner where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. And Indeed is the only job site where you're guaranteed to find quality applications that meet your must-have requirements or else you don't pay. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites hoping to find candidates with the right skills, you need one powerful hiring partner that can help you do it all. Indeed partners with you on every step of the hiring process. You can find great talent through time-saving tools like Indeed Instant Match, assessments, and virtual interviews. With Instant Match, as soon as you sponsor a post, you get a short list of quality candidates with resumes on Indeed that match your job description. And you can invite them to apply right away. Plus, you only pay for quality applications that meet your must-have requirements. With Indeed, you'll be in good company where you can join more than 3 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. So start hiring right now with a free $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com you and that offer is valid through march 31st so once again go to indeed.com slash mpu to claim your 75 dollar credit before march 31st indeed.com slash mpu terms and conditions apply need to hire you need indeed and our thanks to indeed for their support of the mac power users and all of relay fm so let's talk about some of the more specific uh, planning apps. You mentioned OmniPlan a couple of minutes ago. Tell us a little bit about it. 
Yeah, I subscribed to this app. I probably shouldn't. It's it's more than I need, but uh, I use it on a couple levels. Um, I am um, I do a lot of like project planning stuff that I mentioned earlier, and so I guess I should back up. OmniPlan is a planning suite of uh, software made by the Omni Group. You know, uh, they used to sponsor the show years ago, and I'm a big fan of OmniFocus. But OmniPlan is the project planning element from the Omni Group, and uh, there's no mystery of the fact that I'm a fan of their user interface design and just the way they make software over there. I think they do a very good job of making things accessible. OmniPlan, in my opinion, started out to be kind of as a friendly planner, and I think they realize, and this is, I haven't talked to anybody at the Omni Group about this. This is my, in my uh, impression. I think they, they realize that people who are doing project planning don't really want them as friendly as they want them powerful. So OmniPlan has evolved. I think they're at version four now to add a ton of power features in it, many of which I don't use. But you can, you know, set projects do plans. But what I like about it is it makes gorgeous Gantt charts. It tracks what I'm doing. Um, I'm looking now at ways to make it more collaborative with other people on my team, but that's kind of early in the game. Mm -hmm. But if you want something made for the Mac that looks good and has a lot of power in it, uh, I would recommend just downloading a 14 day trial of OmniPlan and kicking the tires around a bit. They have those 14 day free trials for all their software. So you can kind of get a feel for it. It is beautiful. In a world of web apps, <laughs> OmniPlan stands alone in its user interface. Yeah, and it looks really good on the iPad too. Yeah, not not all of these um, sort of more web-focused ones. Not even all of them have iPad apps, but yeah, of course, Omni Group is going to get that right. Yeah. Another one that I know uh, has been around for a while for the Mac is uh, Merlin by uh, or Merlin project by project wizards. Yeah, that one I, I have spent time with um, in preparation for today's show. And over the years I've taken test drives of it several times. I have not used it day to day for project management, but I think it is, you know, it looks nice. I, I, I like the look of the Omni software better. But uh, Merlin is a native app on the Mac. They've got versions for iPad and iPhone. Again, it also looks good on iPad and iPhone. I almost think that when it comes, if you want a native app, the two big contenders are Merlin and OmniPlan. Mm -hmm. I think I would just do trials of both of them to decide which one kind of works with the way your brain works. Yeah. But, I mean, they, they largely have the same group of features and I'm tempted to say OmniPlan goes a little deeper, but that's only because I don't have enough experience with Merlin, so I don't want to say that and be wrong. Um, but I, in terms of native apps, I think these are the two real contenders. So if you want something native on your Mac from a software developer that actually writes UI for the Mac and not a web, you know, some cruddy web web thing, uh, Merlin and OmniPlan are the two you need to be looking at. Yeah, I mean, looking through them, they have all the components we've been talking about. So they have Gantt charts. They have even mind mapping. You have a Kanban view. So these tools also manage something we haven't really talked about, which is like resource management. So part of this yeah. is, well, if this team member is supposed to be working on the Acme project, but then the you know this other project comes in at the same time, 
Like that's a conflict. They can't work on two different things on the same day. So, you know, looking out for those collisions, a lot of these tools will also do. And that is something that I always struggled with as a project manager was uh, our allocation because there's only so many work hours, you know, in the day you can figure five work hours a day, probably between meetings and lunch and everything else. You have X number of team members, you have X number of days in the week. And that is really difficult to keep up with. And so it's another thing that uh, if I were revisiting this world, I would definitely have on the top of my list of something that I need help managing people hours. Yeah. Another um, element to this is not only resources in terms of people, but resources in terms of more traditional resources. Like, do you have the copper piping on job site or do you have the licensed artwork for the website? You know, all of that stuff is addressable through these more powerful apps. So you can really, as a project management person, see where the speed bumps are coming or the potholes and Mm -hmm. try and make sure those pieces are in place on the day they're needed. So the project doesn't get delayed. Yeah. I'm glad I'm not a project manager anymore. (laughs) You know, it it is an interesting, I could see myself in a different universe being a project manager. Mm -hmm. I think I would probably kind of really enjoy the, um, the tedious nature of it. Yeah. Um, people who want to be project managers get certified in it and often spend a lot of time in this type of software. The big one on the Windows side, everybody that does Windows is screaming right now. It is, I think, is it a Microsoft product? What's it called? Microsoft um, Project, yep. Yes, yes, Microsoft Project. That's the one. Like, if you're going to make a living at this, at least in the old days, that's the way it worked. I think now a lot of people have transitioned uh, transitioned to cloud tools, but the um, but yeah, that was the one that kind of started the ball rolling with this, in my experience. Yeah, I mean, they were. That's been around since the '80s. Yeah, <laughs> it's sort of the OG, um, and it's definitely the the standard. I had looked. I forget the name of the project management certification, but I looked at it once, and there was a lot of Microsoft all all over the place. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, One that I'm using right now, actually, uh, on a freelance project that I'm just a component of is ClickUp. And so this is on the web. Uh, You know, they have complete, like, online collaboration. And again, it has all of these components that that we've talked about. And this is a very crowded space, like, I have firsthand experience with ClickUp, so it's the one that I wanted to talk about. But there are dozens and dozens of these out on the web. Um, and it's it's really great. So I can go in, and I'm just handling one part of a bigger project. So I'm sure there's parts of this project that I can't see because they, they have put my access around this one component. But I can go yeah. in, and I can see all the tasks on a list or on a calendar or on a Gantt chart. This is really the app that I had in mind a second ago when I was talking about I need to have a note or a piece of information attached to a certain task or a certain time or a certain person. ClickUp does that really, really well. And I've been really happy using it. I'm using it with an agency, and I'm just sort of like a random freelancer on it. But it has been um, it's been really cool. And... I think it's a good example of if you're looking for something web-based, um, I've been I've been happy with it. Yeah, I have um, 
talked to many friends because I, I am looking actively at this stuff. I mean, this show didn't just come out of a vacuum, right? I've made this big transition in my life. I'm trying to bring my big boy pants to the way we manage the uh, sparky media, you know, mm-hmm. and make sure we get good stuff out and it's on time and, you know, greasing the squeaky wheels and uh, project management, I think is a big piece of this that I need to like take on. And ClickUp has been recommended to me by multiple people that I respect. And like, I have a trial account in there now and I'm looking at it and this is really an impressive product, especially if you're using it in the collaborative nature, like I'm talking about, not like, you know, making an OmniPlan Gantt chart, but really just like trying to do proper project management. Now, right. this is not Microsoft project. It is not like that kind of thing. It's much more of, in my limited testing, it's much more of a Kanban-friendly uh, environment for managing projects than it is kind of like the traditional project manager. But um, it seems really well-made. It seems really stable. I mean, with with a web app, that's what you need. I haven't kind of researched the ownership of it. Before I sign up for these web services like this, especially if I'm going to be putting my team's, you know, my, my, my livelihood into it, I want to mm-hmm. make sure that, you know, I'm not dealing with some, you know, company that's disreputable or somebody I don't trust with my data. But uh, initial experiments with ClickUp for me have been very good. Yeah. And uh, another one that I think, and you've I've probably come across in uh, in planning, you know, what your moves are going to be in this area is uh, Monday. Um, yeah. Which is a pretty, I think, a pretty great name for this. Yeah. And now Monday does Every, you could run an entire business in Monday because they also have like CRM for sales management and yeah, yeah. HR and recruitment tools. Like they have a million things in here. Um, but it's another example, I think, of something that's really nice on the web, very collaborative. They have mobile apps. You can take it on the go with you. But um, while I don't have percent experience with it, I've talked to people in preparation for this who use Monday, like at their jobby jobs and have been, uh, pretty happy with it and view it as yeah it's kind of does everything but it does most of it pretty well yeah i mean i feel like that's another like contender monday and ClickUp are are two of the ones that seems to constantly come in another one that is uh probably not as broad as monday is meister task which is a good way to get a um you know, a Gantt chart and basics out with the project management. Um, that that has it. That product has evolved over time. I think it used to be called. Uh, you know, I, I'm going to get it wrong, but they they've had a bunch of different like Meister M E I S T R like related services. But it's really kind of got. I don't know. They got a bunch of. They hired people or whatever. But it's got a lot prettier and a lot more stable over the years. And now it's all falling under this task, Meister task. And, um, that's another one that I would, I would recommend looking at if you want to try and do this on the web. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think those are the three that uh, I agree are the ones I would start with if you need something, you know, more full featured than a random Trello board. (laughs) Yeah. And Trello is good, but I do feel like there is like a next level to this stuff. Yes, definitely. And, you know, I mean, I'm going to get so much email because everybody has an advocate on each one of these platforms. And I I understand that Trello has added a lot of features, but I think Trello really is best at its most basic level. But either way, I'll tell you that I have been starting 
to play around with ClickUp. Uh, like I said at the top of the show, I am really trying not to make a lot of commitments to new platforms and things right now. Just keep my mind open and look at things. And I'm going to spend some time with all of these. But the um, but ClickUp, I mean, I, I could probably sign up for ClickUp today and be pretty happy with it. Yeah, I think so. Which is uh, interesting because uh, I have done a lot of the stuff historically on Airtable. But there there are things that ClickUp does that Airtable does not. Yeah, I mean, there, there are things when you have, you know, Airtable is a generalist, right? Trello is yeah. a generalist. Uh, yeah. Google Sheets and Docs, right? <laughs> We're going to talk about how I use yeah. it. I do a lot of Google yeah. Sheets and Docs at Relay. It's a generalist, right? But when you move into this next level stuff, that's where these tools that, the tools themselves may still be very broad, but they're built with these types of things in mind. It's where they really sort of come into their own, I think. This episode of Mac Power Users is brought to you by Wealthfront. The beginning of the new year is a great time to finally start thinking about adapting habits or reassessing your productivity or thinking about your financial future. Or, I mean, no judgment, maybe you plan on just staying on the couch in 2022. I totally understand that. But you can still do a useful thing while you sit there. Check out Wealthfront.com. You can start investing in no time with Wealthfront's classic portfolio or make it your own with things you care about like socially responsible funds, technology, or hundreds of other investments. Wealthfront was designed by financial experts to help you turn your good ideas into great investments without the hassle of doing everything yourself. Don't want to spend hundreds of hours trying to lower your tax bill? They help you do that. Not sure how to rebalance your portfolio or even what rebalancing is? They do it for you automatically. Wealthfront is trusted with over $28 billion in assets, helping nearly half a million people build their wealth. And the best part is their product is simple and powerful. It has 4.8 stars in the Apple App Store. So to start building your wealth and get your first $5,000 managed for free for life, Go to wealthfront.com slash MPU. That's wealthfront, W E A L T H F R O N T, wealthfront.com slash MPU to start building your wealth. Our thanks to Wealthfront for their support of the show and Relay FM. All right. So we've been dancing around throughout the episode how we're using some of these tools. Let's kind of go deeper into it. You want to go first? I think you kind of tipped your hand right before the break. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of uh, it's a lot of Google Doc and Google Sheets. Um, yeah. So I already talked about my Trello usage at Relay, and I should say I don't do hardly any of this sort of stuff for uh, like five twelve pixels or the podcasts, right? Like, really, my needs are focused on on Relay itself as a company. And for us, uh, a lot of it is, um, man, a lot of it's Google Google Sheets. You know, if, if we're working on, for example, uh, planning a live show at WWDC. I don't think I'm doing that this year. I kind of think I'm never going to do it again. But when we were doing it, <laughs> um, yeah. I would have a big Google Sheet. And it would, in there, I would have a sheet for the budget. So, okay. Uh, the theater has this many seats. If we sell the tickets for this much, this is how much you know uh, revenue we'll have. Uh, these are the expenses. So we got to rent a theater. We need the event ins- insurance. 
you know, we need to tip our photographer and, you know, whatever it may be and have a section that is just, uh, just the budget. Cause when you're a small business like us, the budget is a very important part of <laughs> how things are going. Yeah. Um, but the reason I use Google sheets also is because at the end of the day, it is a spreadsheet. And so I could also have in a tab, I could have this schedule. Okay. So the six hours before the live show, this is when we need, uh, you know, this is when we're going to meet at the hotel and change and get ready. And this is when we're going to go to the theater and we have this much time to set up. And these are the things I need to remember to set up, you know, maybe I need these microphones and this audio equipment and make sure that's all ready to go and then have the run of show. Okay. First section starts at six and it's me and Mike. And then Jason comes on and then sparks comes on and then serenity, whoever it was, you know, over the years. And, because it's just a Google sheet, I could also then, you know, I could share that with other people really easily. I could sh- I could copy it onto an email and send it to the front of house guy. So he knew at what time roughly the segments were going to be. And I didn't ever, I don't, I rarely need anything more than that with Relay. And so I, I don't know, I don't want the overhead of the other things, except when we go to Trello to look at those, at those goals, like I mentioned. But for me, a, a fancy, fancily formatted Google Sheet goes a long way. No, I think there's something to simplicity, and Google Sheets is great. I mean, those links work everywhere. Like, it's very easy to include somebody on Google-related collaboration. Yeah. You know, you just send them a link. They, they get And everyone in. knows how it works, critically. You know, like, when I got dumped into that ClickUp plan for this, this project I'm working on, it took me a little while to get my feet under me. You know, because I have experience in this and I just test a lot of software because of my job, like I got it pretty quickly. But I did have yeah. the thought of like, if someone random was just added to this, like it's a little overwhelming. And with the Google Sheet, I feel like I can send that link to anyone and people are going to be just fine. Yeah. And, and I think when you're doing this stuff, you need to look at the type of project that you're working on. Don't, um, you know, there are certain projects that need this treatment and certain projects that don't. Um, like as Max Sparky, when you and I plan an episode of MPU, I run a script that creates a task list and OmniFocus and sends the email to the guest and does a couple different things. But that doesn't require project management software because you and I know how to make a podcast episode. And it just doesn't require a lot of collaboration except the phone call we do and, you know, working in an outline together, but it's just not the same thing. Or like when I was a lawyer, if I was going to make a new company for somebody, there was a certain set of steps you went through and that was largely managed with an OmniFocus project kind of thing. But then there's other things I do like making a field guide is a kind of a tremendous effort. There's at least four people involved. There's a lot of work editing, recording, re-editing, you know, audio balancing, closed captioning. There's like a bunch of moving pieces involved. And in order to get to that launch day, all that stuff has to happen. And that is a very good thing for project management, particularly because I've added more people to the team. So that's like something that I'm looking at tools like Mm -hmm. ClickUp or some other thing. And the same thing as a lawyer, when I was doing like, if we did, we merged two companies, there was a project management um, component to that. I usually ran that through OmniPlan and shared it with people. I liked running OmniPlan as a project management tool on things that I wanted to be in control of. 
uh, because I didn't want other people making changes uh, that <laughs> sure. way. It all, all went through me, which added a little extra work for me, but allowed me to kind of keep in control of it. I guess that's a, that's a personal failing of mine, but I'm also a big fan of just team collaborative tools. And we talked about it at the top of the show, but the one I left out that I'm using still is Basecamp. And the reason is, uh, I guess I should just tell my sordid history with Basecamp. You know, I, uh, I read some of the books by the guys at Basecamp. I thought they were pretty smart. I know that they've had some, you know, some, so, so a real self own <laughs> over yeah. at Basecamp last year. <laughs> yeah, there was some stuff that was a little weird, but the, um, the, uh, but in general, um, I like the idea of the Basecamp software. It's very simple for a team to use it, and um, it's got mo- uh, several components. It's got a calendar component. It's got like kind of like a campfire component. They call it where you can just like talk. They've got um, specific threads. They've got uh, tasks that can be assigned and projected back. It's not really good for the historical, like there's no Kanban really element to it, but just as like a place to keep a team together and have communications and ideas about what's going on. Well, I started using it and I had a full account several years ago for the law practice and I was uh, sending all of my clients separate base camp invites. And so I could have, uh, all their files stored there, which is like file storage. We talked about Basecamp does that. And it was kind of nice in the sense that we could comment on the files on the Basecamp. The clients could have access to them. Um, everything was good except for the fact that I learned an important lesson. If you're in a service business, requiring your clients to sign into any web service is never going to be good. You know, I did the trial of it with like five clients that were super techie and they loved it. And then I, you know, loaded it out to like all hundred clients and the five that loved it still used it, but nobody else really did. So mm-hmm. I eventually shut that down. But on my team, you know, the Max Varky team, when it started, it was just me and my virtual assistant who is very smart, but not particularly into technology. And she loved, she really, you know, got into Basecamp because she understood how it worked. Like the to-do item has a big checkbox, you know, and <laughs> right. the, uh, <laughs> You know, and when I assign something to her, she gets an email that says, David gave you this. And when she finishes it, it sends me an email that says she finished this. And she really took to that. And like, we've never mentioned Notion in this whole episode, but we did a whole episode on it last year. So go listen to that episode. But people are using Notion for this too. But like, if I tried to bring her into Notion, it wouldn't, it would not land as well, if Mm -hmm. you know what I mean. I mean, that's such a huge factor. It is like, Choosing a tool affects everyone on the team, right? Like one reason among yeah. many that we don't use any of this stuff at Relay very much because Mike and I don't want to share tasks. Like we don't, we both used to do it, so we don't have a shared task list. Like yeah, just the way that we work and, you know, maybe it's being control freaks. Like I do not want someone else to put something else in my task manager, nor do I want them yeah. to check something off in my task manager. And so when we communicate, you know, we have our stand-up call on Mondays that I mentioned uh, a little while ago. Very often, he and I both will come away with three, four, five tasks to, to look at or to take care of. And I just know that he's going to put it in whatever system he wants, and I'll put it in whatever system I want. Yeah. Um, because we would not play together well in something bigger. And that is a factor to consider, especially if you have, like you said, varying levels of interest in technology or technological know-how on your team. Yeah, but like if I need... 
Leilani to get the closed captioning files on a certain group of videos, that really lends itself to a task, you know. And with Basecamp, I can create it for her. I can give her the resources she needs, you know, the CC files, the text files. And I can make a YouTube, uh, not a YouTube, I can make a screencast video showing her how to do it. And I can upload that to the Basecamp task too. And she can go in there and get everything she needs to understand how to do the job and do the job. When she's done, she can click the box and I get a notification that she did it, you know. And to varying degrees, I'm using those kinds of tools throughout the Max Sparky stuff I produce now, mm-hmm. you know, because I'm doing a lot of content now. And, you know, I get paid to make stuff, not necessarily do the back end processing. So I'm trying to like, build a system where I can make a lot of content, but also have a life. And the thing is Basecamp landed with her, but then I started bringing in other people, you know, um, Adina does all the Max Sparky artwork and she's in there and she can upload the art files and her and I can have conversations. And then JF and I work on a lot of the post-production on the video. So I've got like all these people helping with stuff and that gives us like a common area. And I, I look at things like ClickUp and some of these other resources and they're really not as good for that kind of communal space. They're more of like a specific project. So I'm right now kind of trying to keep an open mind about all this, but trying to figure out what does that mean for me? And like, you know, we're making this show. I don't have all the answers. I think, you know, like maybe what I'll do is keep Basecamp, but also have like a ClickUp component that would replace what I'm doing with Airtable. Airtable is what I'm using for every field guide. There's a separate Airtable And it's got a bunch of Gantt charts in it and a bunch of views to show me like what's in production, what is in post-production, what needs closed captioning, what needs attachments. Like I've I've sliced and diced Airtable a million ways and I have this massive template for every new field guide. But then that's got links to Obsidian where I've got outlines for each video. And like there's all these weird things going on and I'm trying to figure out a better system for it. Mm -hmm. But to add to the complication... I have multiple people now that need to see the data and be able to work with it. So it's all uh, a little bit up in the air for me, but I do use project management quite a bit. Historically I've used it and currently I'm using it and I want more than, than what Google docs has to offer, to be honest. I mean, I get that I could probably pull some of this stuff off with Google docs, but it wouldn't be as well. And like, I love the ability to click a button or you know, trigger a contextual link and see exactly what I need to record today on a field guide, or exactly what the status is on the blog post for developing for next week. Or you know, that is really nice. And I think there's a whole lot to this now. I, I definitely leaning more into web services than I have historically. Like, I'm not sure that in the long run I'm going to be using native apps for this project management stuff. I, I'm starting to see the web as probably the, the go-to place for me ultimately. But uh, I'm also trying to look at many options. I want to pick a reputable company. I want to feel like whatever I invest in is going to be there for a while and not be creepy with my data. Yeah. I don't have all the answers in this one. I, I would love to hear if people are using some of these cloud services in the um, in the comments at, at talk.macpowerusers.com what they've really gravitated toward. But it's it's exciting times. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by ZocDoc. Go to ZocDoc.com slash MPU to find the right doctor right now. When you need a doctor, you need a doctor now, not in a few days or a few weeks, and definitely not in a few months. 
If you need to see an MD ASAP, you need ZocDoc. Just download the ZocDoc app. It's free, and it's the easiest way to find a great doctor and instantly book an appointment. With ZocDoc, you can search your local doctors who take your insurance, uh, read verified patient reviews, and book an appointment in person or video chat. So you never have to wait on hold with a receptionist again. Whether you need a primary care physician, a dentist, dermatologist, psychiatrist, eye doctor, whatever specialty you need, ZocDoc has got you covered. So go to ZocDoc.com MPU and download the ZocDoc app to sign up for free. Every month, millions of people use ZocDoc, including my family. My daughter needed a new doctor. She didn't like her old one. And we thought we would solve the problem just by calling the insurance company and getting a list of doctors and finding one. Well, turns out that data was bad. So we kept calling people. And after we waited on hold a long time, we'd find out that they didn't cover our insurance anymore. They didn't accept new patients from that carrier or whatever. And we spent like an hour on this. And then I found out about ZocDoc and we found a list of doctors that had good reviews that my daughter was interested in that actually did cover our insurance. And we were able to book it right in the app. It was awesome. So anybody who wants to get a doctor should check out ZocDoc. ZocDoc makes healthcare easy, and now is the time to prioritize your health. So go to ZocDoc.com slash MPU and download the ZocDoc app to sign up for free and book a top-rated doctor. Many are available as soon as today. So that is ZocDoc.com slash MPU. And our thanks to ZocDoc for the support of the Mac Power users and all of FM. We've talked a lot about project management and tools and strategies, but one thing that I think is actually a really important part of the, a project life cycle is uh, the wind down. So back in my project management job at the web agency, one thing I would do is after a project launched, I would start a timer uh, for four weeks. And within those four weeks, I would put together uh, basically a report of the project and how it went. So I would look at everything from the budget, any change orders, how, how it would just commentary on how it went, things I thought that went well, things that didn't go well, things I thought we learned, things that we would change in our process because of something that came up in this project. And it was invaluable, I think, uh, to, to take that time and sit down and, and reflect and then create something out of, okay, it's done. What did we learn? Et cetera. Yeah. Um, have I ever, I think I've shared on the show, the story of my first trial. Have I ever done that? Probably, but let's share it again. All right. Short version. As a very young lawyer, all I wanted to do was get in court and argue a case, you know, and the firm I joined said, we're going to let you try cases, you know, right away. So there was, I got hired and my first trial was like two months later. And the, uh, the other lawyer wrote me or called me and said that he said he was from Texas. He's like, son, I looked up your bar number and you don't have one yet. (laughs) I'm going to tap dance on your head, you know? So it really like got me fired up. So I spent all this time. I went and did my first trial and it went well. And I, I won. Right. Yay. Hey, right. You know? Uh, but afterwards I wrote a letter to the judge and said, Hey, that was my first trial. Uh, would you be willing to give me um, a critique as a judge? 
you know, cause it, and he did, he said, Oh yeah, come in and we'll have lunch together. And he's a really nice guy. And that's cool. And he told me some things he thought I could have done better. And I thought that was really helpful. And he said, he says, what I, but the thing you need to do, cause this was an old warhorse judge who had been a lawyer for a long time, then a judge. He said, you need to sit down as soon as you finish every trial and just write out everything that happened and your comments and your thoughts and what you learned and, and you know, what went wrong and what you could do better immediately after the trial. And that advice I have carried throughout my career. I've got all these things I've written after I finish a big thing. And it, I used it for trials as a young lawyer. But then as I transitioned to more transactional work, I, every time I'd finish like a big merger or a big transaction, I would do it. And as Max Sparky started to grow up, I did the same thing for that. Like I've got all my notes when I finish the paperless um, ebook, you know, that I did in iBooks author. And I've got my notes here from when I finished iPad at work for Wiley press, like so long ago. And so I, I've come to do, when I finish a big project, I just sit down and write down lessons learned, thoughts on the process and everything immediately. And I find that a hugely beneficial step. And doing it before everything like escapes your brain, hmm. for me, is the only time I can really do it. And I've never had an excuse to talk about it on the show, but I, I wanted to share that because I think this is something that everybody could benefit from. When you do a project... When you finish the project, sit a minute and reflect on it. Yeah, it's absolutely huge. Uh, it's something that I've learned at you know now the almost eight years of relay. Like, if we have a project, a live show, merch, whatever it is, that my partner and I are going to have different takeaways from it. And so, yeah. what we try, what Mike and I try to do is, we each. I think do this on our own and then we'll get together and say, this is what I think. What do you think? And then we won't always agree on that. You know, very often we'll disagree. We'll disagree on that's totally fine because we, we both have our own history and take on things, but this is such a huge thing. Um, I love that story. I was told a very similar thing when I started project management of like, this is an important thing to, to do because you can't ever, improve you can't learn these lessons without that time thinking back over them and and discussing them and seeing what worked and what didn't and you know i get it it's hard to do it's hard to take that time especially those of us who are really busy but i've learned over the last you know i guess however long my career has been it's so important and it it's really you know i've come to think of it just like anything else right like things happen. I want to sit down with my wife and I want to regroup and talk about things. And she wants to do the same thing, right? It's, it's all the same concept of like, you have to reflect and take those times to, to figure out what you should, what you should change if there is anything to change. And I think that's an important point that it's not, um, it's easy to think about this being a negative thing, right? What would we change? What went wrong? But what is just as important is what went well and what you're proud of. And, those things are are important too. Yeah, I mean, when we did the uh, one of the labs calls, uh, one of the listeners talked about how he looks at his journals and everything, and is negative. And I said, you know, that's that's on you. I mean, you have good things happening to you. You need to write those down too. But I would say that some of the most instructive of these and the ones that are hardest right is uh, things that don't go well. Uh, projects that don't go the way you like. I mean, believe it or not, as a lawyer, a few times I got my teeth kicked in and. Uh, writing down, you know, like a post project, you know, write up for that 
a lot of times I learn a lot and, and make sure I don't make the same mistakes again. And I would add that it's kind of fun to go back and read ones you wrote 20 years ago as well. So I, and, and th- you don't need a special workflow for this. You can do it paper and pen or in a text file or whatever. But a lot of things I just, the questions I try to ask is, you know, what were the lessons learned? What went well? What went poorly? If I were to do it again, what would I change? And, um, and then uh, an important one for me is follow-up tasks. Okay, now this all being done, how am I going to follow up and hold myself accountable on this? And uh, so I, I try to do that right after the project. Since I know you're a little different about when you do those those uh, post-action reports. Yeah, when I was full-time project manager, I did do them, pretty, like I said, within, within a month. I would start the process, but I wanted it done in a month. But now with Relay, I tend to take more time or at least not start immediately thereafter. Part of that is our business, for the most part, is pretty cyclical. And so a lot of that stuff is like, okay, well, what would I change after this live WBDC that, you know, I've done four of them or five of them, right? Like some of it is that the it's a little more routine. Um, but part of it is too just is just, you know, now I'm not the only one generating that. You know, before I would write that report and basically send it to the team as like, this is our autopsy and we're going to talk about it for 30 minutes on Friday if you want to. But it's just a little bit different now working with, with a, you know, a direct partner, I guess. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, and I think there's something to be said for time, but I, I do mine when I'm still bleeding on the table. <laughs> Although if I will go back and read them later and maybe time will give me some better reflections on it too. Maybe do both. Why not? But, yeah. uh, if we're going to talk about projects, I'm going to talk about project wind down. So if you're out there and you're thinking about doing some big projects, build a system for yourself to do project wind down and, and allow yourself to learn from all this hard work you're doing. Mm-hmm. And if you're using one of those big project management tools, you know, you're working in a team environment, whatever is the outcome of that, put it in there with the project. Uh, I, I would do that at my job because six months down the road, the client may call and I want a complete encapsulation of their project, right? Like it's an Amber or it's in that Indiana Jones warehouse and my reflection on it or the team's reflection on it with team input was just as important as when we did what in hindsight. And so I like keeping those things with the project when I can. Yeah. And really, um, I know that a lot of times when you finish a project, you're very tempted to say, well, everything else is behind now. I got to go jump on that now. So I don't have time. And just give yourself time. Like, I mean, not only does it have a benefit of making what you do better going forward, there's some value to these things. Like the week that we announced that I, I'm no longer a lawyer. Um, all those emails came in and I was stopping to answer them and trying to get everything going. And that was a crazy week for me, but I really did stop to journal and kind of post because the project for me was shutting down the law practice. So I had finished it. So I, I tried to write in journal and think about that stuff that week. And I, I feel like when I'm old and drooling on myself, I may come back and read that week's posts or, or writings and really treasure them. You've got to make time for that stuff in the moment, even though you feel like you don't have time. It's okay. I gave you permission. <laughs> if your boss complains, tell him that Sparky said you had to do it. Yeah. Send him a timestamp. 
All right. On more power users today, we're going to be talking about 2022 Apple hardware. Stephen and I both have a lot of thoughts. Um, so if you're a, a, a subscriber, you can check that out. If you want to be a subscriber, we've got a link in the show notes. Subscribe to the Mac Power users. You can get ad-free episodes and that bonus content every week. Uh, in the meantime, though, we want to thank our sponsors. That's our friends at SaneBox, Indeed, Wealthfront, and ZocDoc. And we'll see you next time.